What's become evident to us is that the pace of life here in Milton and the surrounding area is directly at odds with Christian growth and discipleship. In other words, if we continue living at the pace that our environment and our culture lives at, then uh, the cost will be our spiritual life in Jesus, just like it has been over the past several decades. The late Dallas Willard, USC philosophy professor and Christian theologian, said that the greatest enemy of our spiritual growth is the pace in which we live. He went on to say, and we've quoted this in the past, and we'll keep saying it, that if we want to take Jesus seriously, and we want to take discipleship to Jesus seriously, then we need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. The basis for that statement is that, um, well, hurry and busyness are completely at odds with relationship. Both relationship with God and relationship with others. There's no way to form deep and meaningful relationship when you're in a hurry. Ranza showed us an example of that. How often are our conversations just us looking to tell people what we feel and think? And the reason we need to talk about this and keep talking about it is because um, here in the 21st century West, we are hurrying ourselves to sickness. There's actually um, new um, language that's being used in medical circles about hurry sickness. It's interesting. We're more anxious than ever. We've talked about that a lot here over the last little while. We're more divided than many of us remember. Our minds are scattered. Our pursuits and priorities are constantly in flux. We're inundated with things and experiences to chase from nonstop advertising. We're becoming lonelier than ever, even though we should be more connected than ever because of the technology that would afford that but we're experiencing more loneliness than ever. Teenagers are feeling lonelier than ever. They're dating less than they ever had. Some really conservative Christians are like, yeah, dating's bad, <laughs> good. It's like, no, no, they should, um, they should seek friendship, love, and companionship. We sleep less than we ever have. On average, we sleep less than we ever have. We're self-medicating and self-soothing more than we ever have. And we are the most distracted generation to have ever lived, statistically. And if we were to audit our church, this community of people, we would find that the primary problem that you and I admit that we have in regards to our relationship with God and growing spiritually is that we're too busy. We're just too busy, right? And you're probably like, yeah, that's, that's about right for me. We're too busy for morning time with Jesus. We're too busy and distracted for extended periods of prayer. We're too busy to get together on a regular and consistent basis with our own family, let alone our church family and our closest friends. It's sometimes so hard to hang out with the people you just want to be around the most. Seems like you get to do that maybe quarterly at best. We're often too busy to eat dinner with our own families in our homes. And sometimes we're too busy to just worship on a weekly basis in communion, if that's the baseline. But that's the norm. It's not to induce shame in you. That is the norm. That is the nature of of the time and the age that we live in. And some would say that it's necessary, right? Some would say that in this economic environment that we live in, that is just necessary to survive. And you actually may not be wrong, right? You may be right about that. Two working parents, half-hour commutes, answering emails at home, constant travel for work and pleasure, 
kids in tutoring just so that they are successful in their school, the demands of university degrees just to get a living wage around here, our kids programming, their desires for it, and the social pressure to excel in it. Like all that feels necessary just to survive here, just to be a person here in Milton. Would you say that that's true? At least it appears that way. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, um, is it working, right? Is it working? Or deeper than that, the question that we should be asking ourselves is that, the question is, is this the life that Jesus offers us? That's the question we should ask ourselves. Is this the life that we have in, um, in Jesus? Is this the easy yoke we've talked about in the past week? Is this the light burden because it doesn't feel that easy or light? Is this um, life to the full in the kingdom of God? Jesus talks about that. Does it, is that what this is? Super, being super busy, super anxious, running around, chaotic all the time. Is that life in Jesus? Or, or maybe, and we need to ask ourselves this, maybe it's the byproduct of deceitful ideas that have led to disordered desires in our life. We've talked about that quite a bit here as well, and we're going to continue to. The question might be, is, this, is living this way, surviving this way, the necessity of this pace and lifestyle, is it helping us become disciples of Jesus? Is the question for people who want to become disciples of Jesus. And presumably, if you identify yourself as a Christian, that's what your primary aim in life is. Or are we becoming something else? And we need to ask ourselves the question. And we don't have to... Um, we don't have to ask it of other people to make them feel anything. We don't say it to marginalize others. We just have to ask ourselves these, these kinds of questions. If it's not helping us become disciples of Jesus, then what is it helping us become? If it's something else, then will there be a church for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids here in Milton in decades from now? And then here's the missional question. I think this one's important for me. I've been asking this a little bit over the last couple of years. The missional question, i.e., the question for my neighbors who don't know Jesus yet, because that matters. Here's the question, um, I think, that comes out of it. In inviting them to live like Christians, or inviting them to church, or inviting them to consider Jesus as their Lord and Savior, what are we inviting them into? Are we just inviting them into another program in their already busy schedules, right? Or... Are we inviting them to just say a, uh, a quick prayer to get out of hell free, right? Is that what we're offering? Is that the life that Jesus offers? Like, here, come listen to this, say the right thing just so you can escape hell when you die. Is that what we offer? Is that the life of Jesus is, is the question. Or um, is there more in the life of Jesus that we actually offer to our community? Is there a lifestyle and a way of being that is better for our neighbors and that's better for us? if we're living life in the kingdom of God. Better in every sense. Not better in the economic, materialistic sense, but better in the, this is what I was made for sense. Last week we talked about the speed of family, and we've been talking about, um, well, who Jesus considers who his family is. We, we talked about that last week. We looked at Jesus' own teaching on family. Jesus had a very provocative teaching, very short little teaching, but very provocative about who family is. And he said that to him, his true family are those who do the will of God, who follow God and do the will of God. That's who Jesus considered family. And, and I think what we learned from that is that, well, if, um, if that's Jesus' ethic for family and Jesus is our 
the head of this church and he is the leader of this family, then that automatically makes us brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not. So we're brothers and sisters. We are family. And family in the most real sense. Jesus taught that in response to a question about his actual blood mother and brother coming and interrupting him. So that's just the teaching of Jesus. And if we're faithful to the teaching of Jesus, that is the reality. That we're family. We're Jesus' family if we are followers of Jesus. So then the question is, then what does it mean to live like family? Last week I introduced a new season of the life of this church community that's ahead of us. And we're going to be uh, living into um, very, very soon. The season's going to be characterized by deeper community, deeper family-like community, right? Taking that seriously and living into that like a family would. I mentioned that we're going to be launching communities at Southside here in a couple of weeks, and we're going to invite everybody who wants to take their discipleship seriously, who doesn't already have a deeply forming community in their life to participate, to, um, to show up, to, to carve out time in their calendars, reorient their calendars, to live at the speed of that kind of relationship. That's going to be the invitation. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, towards the end. There's a few more details to tell you. But before we do that, let's look at Scripture. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're just going to look at the teaching of the Apostle Paul in the Word of God. This text should remind us of the nature of Christian community and what it will produce in our life and the life of the church if we live into it. Now, Ephesians is a uh, letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church, a uh, a church in a large metropolitan city called uh, Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. The city would have been dominated by economic trade. It was dominated by pagan worship. It was dominated by Greek philosophy. This would have been a very busy place This would have been a very busy hub of a city. This is not a quiet, small town. Sometimes we think of cities in thousands of years ago, and and we don't picture them like Toronto, but it very much would have been that version of a city. Toronto, of course, is in the GTA is a way busier place because we're living in a way busier time than ever, but, but it would have been the equivalent. It would have been a very metropolitan, very diverse, very busy place driven by economic factors. The church would have been inundated with promises of prosperity, just like you and I, It would have been uh, inundated with a diversity of ideology. There were lots of different pagan temples, and they were all competing for your time and your money. Worship this God for this. Worship that God for this. Make these sacrifices here for this blessing. And so they just would have had all these ideologies competing for their time and their attention and their, their worship. And it also would have included all the fleshly pleasures that we're familiar with. There would have been promises of leisure. There would have been promises of sexual pleasure, There would have been promises of the good life in the fleshly sense. And you would have constantly been invited into that or to achieve that end. That's the kind of city that Ephesus was. Now Paul, he spends the first half of the letter reminding the church about the gospel of Jesus. And if you read the first half of the letter, it's like theology. And uh, sometimes it's dense. Paul's way of writing theology is, is sometimes confusing. It's pretty clear for a first century writer, but for us 2,000 years later, sometimes it's hard to pick up, but the whole first half really is him trying to make some main points about theology, what to think about God, and what the nature of God is, and and Jesus as the king. And then what he does is he spends the second half of the letter talking about if all that's true, 
which uh, he would say like a follower of Jesus would believe all those things are true, then this is how we live. That's the second half of the letter. So I encourage you to um, give it a read this week. Maybe I'll send a reminder this week to suggest that you give it a a read this week just to see the whole context. But we're going to spend a little bit of time in chapter 4 this morning because that's where kind of Paul turns from theology to practice. Right? This is this is the truth. This is how we should live. And we're just going to highlight. I'm just going to highlight three outcomes of genuine Christian community. There's probably plenty more to highlight, both in this text and other places in Scripture. But we're going to talk about three of them this morning. That stuck out to me in reading Ephesians chapter four um, over the last couple weeks. So I'll put it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But Ephesians four ch- uh, chapter chapter four verse one. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. So Paul's in prison. He's writing this from prison. And he's suggesting not to the Christian leaders in the room, not to the pastors, not to the paid workers. He is saying to the community, everybody who's hearing this letter read to them, i.e. everyone who showed up on Sunday morning and is, identifies as a Christian, a follower of Jesus. This is what he's saying to you, to us, to them. That's, what, that's who this is written to. He says, um, I urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. He's assuming people hearing this who identify as a follower of Jesus have been called which we assume too. We assume if you identify as a follower of Jesus, you've been called by God to live a particular life and his urge is that you live worthy of that calling. Not that you earn that calling through your living, but because of that calling, you live in accordance with it. That's the invitation. That's the suggestion, it's the urge. And then he goes on to say, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, putting up with one, or in, uh, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep unity the spirit of the bond of peace. I'm reading from the New English translation, and I love their translation of that kind of middle part there, putting up with one another in love. I don't know if you've ever lived in community deep enough or long enough to understand exactly what that feels like and means. I can't wait for Dean and Mary to go, oh, we're having to put up with Andrew in love. We're not there. Well, I don't know. Are we there yet? Uh, maybe. Yeah, putting up with one another in love. And the highlight, the, the, the way that we're able to put up with one another is, is humility growing in us, gentleness growing in us, patience growing in us, so that we can put up with one another in love for what end? And the end is to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The outcome of genuine Christian community, if it's led by the spirit, and it's characterized by people who are living worthily of their call, is unity. Unity in the spirit, bond of peace. A note for us this morning, when we avoid family-level community, we miss out on family-level unity. When we avoid family-level community, we miss out on family-level unity. I don't know about you, but do you have a hard time trusting that many people many people at all. A lot of us can go through life and maybe we have put ourselves in a position of trust and we've been burned by it before. Maybe a lot of us have different um, attachment issues and we, uh, we struggle with trusting anybody at all. What we miss out on is unity. What we miss out on is closeness. What we miss out on is, um, is loving unity that Jesus offers us. We've talked about what Jesus 
invitation to the church is to live fully unified in the way that the Lord Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. And we cannot achieve that without actually settling into unity and growing in humility and growing in patience and growing in gentleness and putting up with one another. And so the first outcome of genuine Christian community, sincere, is unity. It takes a long time, but that's the outcome. That's the promise. Paul goes on to say why. He kind of adds more theology in here. So, he f- so um, after uh, verse 3, he goes on to talk about how um, the oneness in the church that binds them is, uh, is because there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, one God, a Father, all. So if you read that other section, there's more theology. He's saying like God is one, and we're all one in him, and we become one, we become unified in the way that God is perfectly unified. Then Paul goes on to remind them of their unique roles in that community, that each of them, and therefore each of you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, is given based on a unique grace that is from God. So verse 11, we'll pick up. The first thing that God does through genuine community is unity, builds unity. The second thing he does is this. Goes on to say, and he himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. The second thing that Jesus does by the power of the Holy Spirit through genuine community is that he matures you. He matures you. You grow in maturity. But it's interesting that um, the maturity doesn't just come from reading scripture alone and meditating on it, necessarily. The maturity comes from a diversity of gifts exhibited in the body of Christ, working together to build one another up, working together to equip the saints for the work of ministry, working together to grow the body of Christ. Each member equips in their own unique way. Each member contributes in their own way. Each member, each disciple, builds up the body in a special way. And we don't attain maturity in Christ in its fullness unless we are all living into that. In order to become like Christ individually and collectively as a body, we need each member to live into their calling and live worthily of their calling, expressed through their unique gifts and the unique grace that God has offered them. That's what I think Paul is teaching here. So like I said, the second thing we get from Christian community is maturity. We get unity, we get maturity. Now note, if we neglect Christian community, then we prevent further maturity in Christ. If we neglect Christian community, we prevent further maturity in Christ. For you, yourself, as an individual, for your own life, and then also as a community, as a body. We, are, we don't get to grow as mature together if you don't commit to and prioritize genuine, authentic Christian community. At least that's the, the promise. The thing to note about the first century church that he was writing to was that the first century church was characterized 
by the very things we read about in the book of Acts. We've read about them quite a bit and we've referenced them. The first century church was characterized by weekly table fellowship, daily table fellowship. They were characterized by collecting all of their things and sharing all things in kind. They were characterized by um, serving the least of these on a regular basis, putting others before themselves. That's what they're characterized by. And so when you're reading this, understand this is a first century Christian community, a first century church that is living that way that we read about in the book of Acts. And it's living that way that produces this. So our unity in a divided culture is determined by our commitment to community. It's a big impact on it. Our maturity is impacted by our participation in community, both ours and yours individually. And then verse 14 to 15, it says this, so that we are no longer to be children, tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in Christ, who is the head. So the third thing, the language I use is awareness of truth. Our awareness of what is true. Alone, we are susceptible to lies, to deceit, to half-truths, to misinterpretation of Scripture. We are collectively, but we are way more susceptible to that alone. Deceitful ideas lead to disordered desires, which lead to sinful societies. That's the pattern that we talked about all summer long. We talked about becoming a non-anxious present. And what we need is one another in order to weigh our ideas. We need one another in order to bounce our perspectives off. We need one another in order to see different angles. We need each other to call out the disordered desires and our odd, inconsistent ideas. We need one another to keep us accountable to the truth of the gospel and the lifestyle that we're called to. We need one another to become more self-aware. You don't become more self-aware by sitting with your eyes closed going, self-awareness, self-awareness, self-awareness. You need others to light, shine light on things. You need others to help you with that and to grow in that. We need to become more aware of God's truth in the kingdom of God in Milton as it is in heaven. And the way that we learn about that and understand that better is through others. It's not just about human sexuality, relationships to alcohol, economic ethics. That's not just the truth we're talking about, although it includes that. The truth that we're talking about also includes your own identity. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm my own worst critic. Sometimes I... Um, I think of myself way worse than Jesus himself and the body of Christ thinks of me. I think of myself in ways that doesn't align with scripture. I say things to myself and about myself that aren't what Jesus would say about me and aren't what scripture talks about as being my identity. I, sh I walk around with shame in the way that you walk around with shame and I respond from it day to day. And often, those responses are from a place of believing a deceitful idea. And the only way for me to be aware, sometimes, of that deceitful idea is by being in community, being reminded of the truth through Scripture, by community, of who I am, but my identity as a loved child of God. I remember spending some time when I was away with a group of people who... Um, you know those kind of people who, like, their family has it right and every other church in their neighborhood's got it wrong? 
You know those kind of people? You know those kind of people, right? You know those kind of people who like, like it's really like, there's all, every church has its problems except for them as a member of the body of Christ. I remember spending some time with this, this, um, this family that really just, they couldn't bear to be a part of all the other local churches. This is a place that was a very churched place. There was lots of options. Sometimes like around here in Milton, you're like, how many options are there? You know? This was a place that had plenty of good options, right? And they just like, all of that was so problematic. It was so bad. It was, their doctrine was bad. Their practice was bad. Their motives were bad, all this. And it was this little family unit. It was like a dad and a few sons. And they had this Bible study, right? And they thought, we have to do this because we have to stand for the truth. And they invited me. I was on vacation with some family staying with them. And they invited me to this gathering. I'm sitting there like, First of all, they said some crazy stuff. <laughs> and I was like, you're, you're wrong. That's dumb. Right? There was some stuff where I was like, you are so wrong about that. right? You, you, you don't know. Um, that, but then there was like the spirit of it was the problem. The spirit of it was like, how, how are these people ever going to know that they're wrong about something? How are they ever going to be challenged in the way they're thinking? How are they ever going to? They have no opportunity to be called because what they've done is they've pulled away to this tiny little group of people that has this the truth, you know? That's not what God designed the church for. That's not what it looks like. We learn truth, we understand truth through the body of Christ, the word of God living the body of Christ. That's how we challenge one another. That's how we grow. And so a note, we cannot gain clarity and confidence in truth without submitting to one another in love. We can't gain clarity and confidence about truth without submitting to one another in love. So what does Christian community do? What well, unifies us? Develops humility, patience, gentleness that we all need for the sake of unity. That's what it does. Second thing is does it matures you. It's hard to know your immaturity until you're around a group of people closely and it starts to come out. And they help you grow in that. If you don't need it, then you might be the immature one who needs it, right? And what else does it do? helps us be aware of truth. See it for what it is. There's so many different angles to look at things. And it's not like they're all as good as one another. This is not relativism here. It's just you can't really test it and prove it and challenge it and check it without being in close community that's willing to, one, hear you and listen in love and then offer some kind of response, right? It's hard to know that. This is the blessing of Christian community. Paul goes on in Ephesians, if you read it this week, which I encourage you to do it. He goes on, he reminds us of the truths of the kingdom of God. He reminds us of the lifestyle of a Christian. He reminds us of the behavior that we're called to. He reminds us of the life that we're supposed to live in accordance to. But without getting caught up in the weeds of that, because you can just read that on your own, I want to express to you personally, that I want the fruit of living in genuine, authentic, Jesus-centered community. I've had it in my life, and I want it more in my life. I don't know about you. It's what I want, selfishly. I want that for my family. I want to become more unified rather than divided with my neighbors. I desperately want that. I've experienced more unity in the body of Christ in the last eight months being here at Southside, meeting with other pastors and praying with other Christian leaders and spiritual leaders more than I ever have experienced in my life, and I love it. More of it. So badly just want to be in unity with those who are serious about Jesus. And I want to be more mature in Christ. 
I want to know that there's maturity that needs to be matured in, and then I want to become that. I don't want to be the same today as I am when I'm 40, right? I don't want to be the same at 40 as I am at 50. I want to mature. And I want to have a clear and more honest understanding of God's truth. In all the years of study and teaching, I am just learning that I've scratched the surface on the truth of God's word through his community. And I want more of that. And all of these things are produced by consistent, authentic, mutually submissive community, living together at a pace that affords genuine relationship. When we use our unique roles and gifts as a faith family to bless the church and build it up and equip the church with what God has formed in you, and we offer that to one another. What you have to offer community is far more than you probably realize. You have been gifted by God. He has graced you with a measure of faith that this community, the people sitting next to you, need. We don't necessarily need one teacher to teach to 300 people every single week. That's not sufficient. The body of Christ is made up of teachers. We don't just need the odd pastor here and there to call when we need care. John Davies is an incredible pastor. Um, we need, there's a lot more than John Davies in this room who have the spiritual gift of, of shepherding, isn't there? So that we can be properly equipped and grow in Christ. I want that. And that's the invitation for you. And this church, this community, it lacks when you're out of the game. Just so you know. It's not supposed to um, produce shame or anything. It just, we, we miss out from what you have to offer when you are disengaged from community. That's been my experience so far. And so what we're doing is uh, we're launching a few pilot communities here at Southside. All that teaching stands true, and then think of this part as a, this is just a, maybe we go about it this way, or start going about it this way to achieve the end. This is a, a vehicle, what we're starting, to achieve the end of Christian community. It's not the answer necessarily. So we're launching a few pilot communities here at Southside. I told you about it last week. I want to tell you a little bit more about it this week. This is more of an information session here for the next five minutes. Uh, we're launching these communities um, so that we can actually experience true, genuine, regular, consistent table fellowship and community. That's outside of just this, because this is great. We'll talk about how great this is in a second, but, but there's way more. Uh, these communities, they'll be characterized by weekly gatherings. They'll be characterized by uh, spending time around tables. Shane, you can put that other slide up if you want. The other one. I put the slides in the wrong order, and then I told Shane when he screws it up, I'm going to blame him even though it's my fault. So thanks, Shane. It was my fault. They'll be characterized by weekly gatherings in homes or around tables wherever food and people exist. They'll be characterized by table fellowship, meal together, unapologetically, not when it's convenient. We've got to eat together and force that into our life. They'll be characterized by families and individuals, not just adults and with babysitting at home. They'll be characterized by being geographically based, not, um, not fixed to that. There's lots of room for exception, of course, but the aim is people who live in close proximity to you. They'll be characterized by ethnic, economic, and generational diversity because that's 
who your neighbors are. Uh, they won't be characterized by the people who think like you and feel like you and like the things you like and whatnot. They'll be characterized by people, the body of Christ, that you have to learn to get along with. Because <laughs> that's what Paul tells us we have to do. We don't learn patience when we like all the people we spend all the time with. Anyway. Uh, they'll be characterized by practicing the ways of Jesus' discipleship content. We talked about that a little bit. I won't go into detail about that, but it'll make more sense in future seasons. And they'll be characterized by being led by spiritually mature men and women who believe they will grow in maturity by mutually submitting to their community. So not just your traditional leadership structure where there's a leader and everyone's accountable to them. The biblical model, which is that there are people who are further along the path in spiritual maturity and they're mature enough to know that mutual submission is a means of growth for them in their community. We're going to launch with three communities to start. They all happen to be on Wednesday. That was not intentional, but that's what we have to start with because that's what we have. So you can put up that map there. We're going to launch three communities to start. One's going to be in Old Milton. We're going to call it Old Milton. Not because of the age of the people leading. Uh, Old Milton will be um, led by Ashton and I. Ashton, you can wave your hand. This is my wife, Ashton, if you didn't know that. So we're going to lead that community, and um, it's going to be hosted by Dean and Mary Martin. You guys can wave your hand if people know you. So they live right around the corner, walking distance from us, walking distance from the church, and that's kind of where that community will be gathered. We'll be gathering on Wednesday nights from 6 o'clock to 8.30, and then if you like one another, probably beyond 8.30, but not too late beyond 8.30, whatever Dean's comfortable with until he kicks us out of his house. The second community will be uh, launched in Southwest Milton. That will be led by Luis and Anna Paula Godinho. Luis is here. Is Anna Paula here somewhere? Okay. Uh, no. But you're, <laughs> you're both here in spirit. <laughs> it's going to be hosted by Naomi and Darren Herbold, right over here, and uh, Denny and Janice Chu, right over here. And they're going to be meeting Wednesday nights as well, from 6.30 to 8.30. And then there's going to be a community in East Milton. It's going to be led by Rachel and uh, Jorge Ayala over here. Yeah, they're the fun ones. <laughs> um, it's going to be hosted by Jen and Martin Kay. Jen's here. Martin's over there. There he is. It's going to be in the east area of Milton. And it's going to be also on Wednesdays from 6 to 8.30 p.m. We have a hope of launching a fourth community somewhere in Milton in the Milton area, at least, in a time slot that isn't on Wednesday night, for those who can't make Wednesday nights work, but it, it makes the most sense based on people who are leading and hosting, so that's what we're starting with. Our vision is to continue adding and multiplying these communities as we establish rhythms and more people and families make them a regular and consistent part of their week. And the invitation to you, the church, this morning, along with the teaching, is to prayerfully consider connecting with one of the leaders of this group and prayerly, prayerfully consider working towards the kind of margin in your life that is necessary to be a part of weekly table fellowship in this faith community, or at least in Milton. That's the invitation, at least. I want to make a note that nothing will change about our rhythms with Sunday morning worship. We strongly believe in the value and the necessity of a weekly broader worship and teaching like this morning, so everything will stay the same as it has been on Sunday. We strongly believe in Sunday programming for your kids, so we will continue that, and we will continue to invest in that and do a good job of it. We believe in Friday night programming for the youth, youth at Maine. We're going to continue that. None of that's going to change, although the youth will be invited 
to your community? Well, unless you decide otherwise. But, but uh, the leaders won't tell them not to show up. Uh, we're going to continue to serve our community in the ways that we have, like the free clothing store downstairs, like missional events in the community on Main Street, like open tables, odd time here and there, different kind of things together as a broader community. So none of that will change. And we believe that God uses all of it to grow us deeper in him and form us. However, we do believe that there's even more for us if we take community seriously. And the type of community that looks like the church, ethnically diverse, generationally diverse, culturally diverse, economically diverse. We believe that there's way more for us if we take that kind of community seriously and we make it a centerpiece of our Christian discipleship and our life with Jesus. And so that's why we believe that we need to live into that going into the season ahead of us. If you have anything you want to talk about, please don't hesitate to reach out to me, Pastor Ian, at any point. If you have any questions about that, we'd love to field them. I just want to spend just a moment here praying. Before we pray, actually, the southsidemilton.org slash communities is the part of the website. You can see some of the stuff laid out and contact information on there. I've also, um, if your contact information is in our database, um, then we have given that to the leaders to be able to reach out to you and invite you personally. Um, so don't be shocked if someone says, hey, you live nearby me-ish. Would you be up to connecting about this? So don't be surprised by that. But I just want to spend a moment and pray. And what I, what I want to do is I want to bless, I just want to pray a prayer blessing over the, um, the principle of community that we've been invited to have and live into and then the methodology in which we feel led to um, attempt as a community here in Milton, as a worshiping community in Milton. So Jesus, we, um, we're here this morning just like, I just feel this, this, this sense in this room that we sincerely just want to grow. We sincerely want to get to know each other. We do want relationship. It's what we long for. A lot of us has been, have been hurt and wounded by relationships, especially in the church. And so to think about authentic and vulnerable relationships in a church community is terrifying to some of us. It's risky. There's a lot of pain that may be associated with that. But also, Lord, I'm just, I sense that there's a longing for that. I know there is. You've made us for that. There's a longing for it. We need to be healed by the power of your spirit and by community with one another. So my prayer is that, um, well, I just pray that the season ahead of us, God, is, um, is characterized further by genuine community. That you, um, you give us the boldness and the courage to be free in our vulnerability. You provide us spaces and people to honor that, respect that, and care well for that. I also pray that you give us the um, awareness of space that we can carve out in our already busy lives so that we can live into this, so that it's not actually a burden, but it's a gift. And ultimately, Lord, we're, um, we're trusting your model of doing things, which is to live like family and to be like family and to share all things and to carry one another's burdens. We're trusting that. We're trusting that you work through that and that you build the very kingdom of God here in Milton through our personal decisions to live into that kind of community. So we're asking that you bless it. 
be with us in it, grow us, challenge us, shape us, bless it, and bless the work that's gone into it and the work that will go into it, the time, the energy, the prayer, the relationship. Bless that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this worshiping community that we have here in Milton and for all the worshiping communities that are in Milton. There's a church here in Milton that's free to worship like Audrey prayed this morning, and that's a gift from you, God. So thank you for that. All this we say in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.